Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to continue our set of season reviews, positional groups. Uh, we're talking about the tight ends tonight, and our good friend Gabe Ferguson is here to join us. Gabe, how you doing? Hey, Ken. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure, man. Always great to talk football with you. Uh, talking about this tight end position, we, we saw you know a, a kind of a transition year, and we're going to talk about this a little later, of greatly reduced tight end usage this year under Monken, and at the same time, greatly increased value derived from the position, at least on a per-target basis, which we'll also get to in a minute. But a big change for the Ravens from from you know basically being the heaviest ever team in 2022 to being a much lighter team that played a lot more 11 personnel in 2023. Yeah. It was um it was definitely an interesting change from Greg Roman. I think that was there was some expectation there that you know it would be a little bit lighter than than him who loves to kind of go heavy and and run the ball and then do the play action shots. Um, so I think there was an expectation that that would happen, um, but it was definitely a bit of a surprise that the offense didn't kind of run through the tight ends as as much as we might have expected. You know there was some talk about. Munkin's use of tight ends at Georgia, for instance, you know, he had some very talented players there when he was offensive coordinator and he featured them. So I think there was some expectation that he would do the same in in Baltimore, but it didn't exactly work out that way. And, you know, they were very effective oftentimes, but it, it wasn't the heavy target usage that we've seen in recent seasons. No, it's uh, it, it it certainly was not. And let's let's kind of address that right off the bat because um, in terms of snap changes for the Ravens, I'm going to go through the various players here. So Andrews went from 785 to 467 snaps, and we'll get to the the, the tagline here at the end. We'll get this. That's a loss of 318 snaps. Likely was plus 84, 412 to 496. So not a loss of playing time for him again. Kolar went from 36 to 230, which is plus 194. Uh, the missing cat that we're not talking about is the guy we didn't get a six-round compensatory pick for because it's a signing of Aguilar, and that's Josh Oliver, who had 513 snaps that are that are now gone. You can say the same thing about Nick Boyle, who was 69, 61 snaps, sorry, in 2022 is now gone. And Patrick Ricard whose play dropped from 697 to 443. Now, we're not going to talk about Patrick Ricard. We included him with the running backs, but I'm including him here for snap purposes because he's still a heavy, you know, in terms of making formations heavy. He's never the tailback, for example. So um, in a net reduction was 868 heavy snaps reduced. That's all, you know, three quarters of a snap per play, roughly. Um, and that's without consideration for what would be a fairly minor difference in OL6 snaps. There were some six-man line in both years. I don't even know which one was more. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if there was a little bit more with Roman, but it wasn't a big difference. It wasn't, you know, 30 snaps or anything. So eight, that 868 heavy snaps reduction is just one of the really strange statistics of this season. Yeah, I, I think, you know, 2022 was kind of the other end of the of the spectrum in terms of how heavy it was that that wasn't necessarily the norm and i think that was partly due to personnel you know the ravens didn't really have many wide receivers that they could lean on um andrews you know played a big role this last season i likely had a breakout um and josh oliver was on the field at the time so like you know a lot of those snaps went away with oliver um ricard moved more into that kind of inline blocking role that Oliver vacated, um, I think largely due to the fact that 
the Ravens just didn't have that good inline blocker. You know, he was kind of the only guy that really fit that role um, that they wanted to use in their heavy sets in order to kind of run the ball in, in different personnel groups. So I think it was making use of what you had. Um, it's something that's interesting moving forward too, because the Ravens do have talented tight ends, but their versatility, I think, and, and what they can do as blockers is something that is going to have to be um, looked into and, and, and it really kind of, impacts what personnel you use if they're not actually going to be very good in that in that role yeah i i i think that's a that's a very important point they really do need to get more out of out of what they have as blockers because because this was not a great year for a couple of guys who were going to be really leaned on and i think in fact that's part of what supported that higher snap count from ricard who might have played even less in in um monken's offense if he didn't have real value as an inline tight end but you know, I think to Monken's credit, he really did come in and, and worked with what he was given and some of the organizational culture and run game efficiency that is already present with Lamar Jackson. And he didn't say, you know, we're throwing that all the way. We're going with my offense instead. He he left that. And the Ravens, you know, were outstanding at running the football in general, at closing out games in terms of success rate. They didn't quite have the yards per carry they've had in past years, but they're extremely successful. In terms of their, um, you know, staying ahead of the sticks with the running game. Yeah, and I think you know the, the running game is partially due to, or the I guess the deficits in the running game this year are partially due to, you know, just the personnel they had at the position. Um, immediately losing Dobbins in week week one, that that was an impact. You know, there were players that stepped up, but Edwards has never been someone who's going to be like a featured back he's going to touch the ball 20 times a game he's good in a you know in a rotation of running backs um but when he's kind of taking on more of of a role i think you lose that efficiency um and then also you know keith mitchell was fantastic and in the short time that where he was actually given the opportunity and then obviously losing him to injury as well i mean that's something that i think really impacted how well they could you know increase that ability to to especially run out of the of lighter personnel packages where I think having a combination of someone like likely and, and Andrews on the field at the same time would really benefit because of that speed and quickness where you could get to the edge and play in, in lighter boxes potentially. So I, I think, you know, that can be turned with, um, with a better group of, of running backs, frankly. Um, but it, it also is going to be impacted by, you know, the blocking schemes that they use and, and how they use the personnel and, and whether or not you can get, you know, the good amount of blocking performed on the field if you have two of your lighter tight ends as opposed to having a Ricard out right. there. Right. And, and and so far they've they've looked to Charlie Kolar for that. And I I don't think he really gave it to them this year, certainly as much. Uh it, he had some up and down moments as a receiver that generally a decent year, but but not a whole lot of productivity for the number of snaps he had. Um and uh, you know it's, it's, we, we probably ought to get to this right away. I was shocked by this today. Sometimes I'm asked, what's the most extreme, ridiculous number you've ever seen in, in when you've been looking through statistics? And this is right up there, what I saw today. Um, this the passer ratings growing to the three tight ends this year. I'm going to give them to you just in order here. They've got them written out. Andrews, 135.7. Likely, 152.5. And Kolar, 144.0. Those three guys during the regular season, this is 12 touchdowns and zero interceptions throwing the football to them. It, it's, it boggles the mind. And then the other thing that kind of boggles the mind is they only had 110 total targets to their tight ends split among the three of those. That happens to be exactly the number Andrews himself had in 2022 and they had 185 total tight end targets, 195 total tight end targets in 2022. It, it's, it's a huge difference. And I mean, in, in a vacuum, I would take the efficiency over the volume. I think, yeah. especially, you know, if you're getting contributions from other, other positions. And, and I think to a certain extent, you know, the Ravens did have that in their, in their wide receiver production where more of the targets were funneled, um, especially to, to, to Zay Flowers. Um, and he, I think he became, you know, uh, the number one guy and a lot, in a lot of ways that was 
uh, a feature of of the offense, but also you know of the Andrews of the Andrews injury because he'd he'd always been that type of security blanket for Lamar. And when he went down, I know it was you know two thirds of the way through the season, but but Flowers really stepped up in that role and kind of became that that player to kind of be the go to target and 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 key third down conversions. And it wasn't just wasn't just Flowers; the other wide receivers stepped up as well. Um, but there was definitely a connection there with with receivers, I think more to an extent than we've seen in previous years, because previously it's, it seems like it's always been Andrews. It was Lamar and, and Andrews and they had that connection and they had that kind of almost, you know, it wasn't really quite to the level that the Mahomes Kelsey connection is, but it was, it was on kind of going to that place where, you know, they worked together and scramble drills. They were able to uncover Andrews was given a lot of kind of flexibility in the way he was allowed mm-hmm. to kind of run his routes in order to kind of work with, with, with Lamar and find kind of the openings sometimes work against, you know, the grain of the defense, things like that, finds holes in the zone. And that's kind of a big place where he's shown. And that's why he was always an option that was available to Lamar without him on the field. As often um, those targets kind of had to be spread around to other places. Yeah. Of course, Lamar's ability to get the ball wherever it needs to go off schedule is among the top Lamar qualities of all, it's among the top things. I mean, he's so many you know things that really make him special, including the defense has to continually account for him as a runner is probably number one. But whenever the, the the play is off schedule and he's running around, you know, finding space for Lamar Jackson is the first thing, and you can break all the rules. You don't have to have those normal right rollout, right-handed quarterback rules where everybody goes to the right sideline at three different levels and the other people stay away from it, and you know, none of that crap. You, you don't have to do it. You can find space in the middle of the field because Lamar will throw the ball there. You can find space deep in places where you don't normally try. Um, you, you could be a little outlet receiver, as Edwards was on that 80-yard catch he had, uh, to just get behind a linebacker and figure that out. I mean, just, what what Lamar could do was really special. The you know the tight end game this year. Uh, here's the paradox I'm dealing with is this, and I know you'll, 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 we've had this discussion before is that, yes, I, I, I'll take the efficiency in fewer targets. Generally speaking, it's in fact been something I've complained about with Andrews is that there's decreasing marginal value to his targets um, because, because he's, he's being asked to make more contested catches the more it was in the last year. And, you know, you and I have had that discussion and, and I think, you know, I'm being a hypocrite, in part, because now I'm saying, what are you telling me? Only 110 targets for this efficiency? <laughs> Give me more targets again. But whatever additional targets are, we'll probably be somewhat less efficient. The only thing I question, I think that really needs to be answered, because these guys were not on the field very often together, is how do you get Likely and Andrews on the field together and making plays out of the, out of some of your formations, some significant portion of your formations? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the real question, and and that's the the question for twenty twenty four clearly, um, because you have two players who are, I think, by most metrics, you look at top ten tight ends oh, yeah. in the league. Um, I mean, you could argue even better than that. Um, but but to your point about you know Isaiah Likely and his efficiency, you know, I, I was I was also very surprised when I was looking through his his target numbers because I thought he just would have been a more targeted player, the number of you know touchdowns he had, the yards that he was able to accrue, which just wasn't the case. It, he didn't get that many targets. You know, he was averaging what maybe like three and a half targets a game or something, four targets a game. Like, and that's after uh Andrews got hurt. He wasn't even highly targeted when he was the primary tight end in the offense, which is remarkable to have that kind of production that he had. Yeah, I mean he he is actually his targets got cut from 60 to 40, from 22 to 23. So right there he's you know he was he got a pro rata share pretty much of the cuts. In the in the uh, in the tight end, even a little bit more. Uh, sorry, a little bit less. But uh, but did did have a uh, an extraordinary year. I thought likely did. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it, it was a little surprising given how efficient he was. It's almost like I, I, when he first came in in that Cincinnati game, they were throwing a lot of real short passes to him. In fact, he had a negative one a dot in that game and forty four yak and only 40, 40 yards for the game which is something you often see from a running back, but it's not something you typically see from a tight end. Yeah. Um, I understand trying to get him the ball in situations like that because he does have the ability to make a player miss, break tackles, get yards after the catch. Um, but, you know, he does have, you know, some speed to kind of stretch defenses as well. Um, and 
you know, we will, I think, focus more on him in a bit, but I think that's a missed opportunity in the offense. You know, what, what I was expecting to see with him and Andrews was kind of really attacking the middle of the field. And that really wasn't the case. It wasn't how they were used in the offense at all. You know, there wasn't much, you know, um, kind of, of those classical, like, tight end running up the seam type targets. It, it was a lot of kind of short and intermediate and then a few kind of off script deep throws often to to likely um that kind of gave him the really efficient numbers um and the other thing i would say about likely is and, and this is in contrast to andrews and how they work in the offense um likely seemed to have a lot of his targets on plays where he was kind of now, I want to say manipulated, but he was schemed up to be open um, in, in a lot of ways. And and there was also some off script as well, but it, it wasn't a lot of him just kind of getting open in like the second read of a progression or something. He would, it seemed like there needs to be some scheming in order to get him like the ball, which isn't really the case with Andrews a lot of times because Andrews seems to be like the number one target within the natural kind of like flow of the, of the offense or maybe the number two target in some situations likely to seem more, I don't know if forced is the right word, but it just didn't seem as natural the way he was getting the ball. I, I would agree with that. And I think one of the other things we saw from likely this year, not only some extended play stuff and he had that really beautiful one-handed catch where he then turned the corner and didn't even seem like there was a corner to turn yeah. honestly, but he, but he, but he scored on it. The other thing I was noticing was some busted coverages against likely. And I'm thinking of him scoring the touchdown. I think it might've been in the Miami game where he got behind. Now that yeah, I'm, games are running together, but, but it was the Rams Rams game. Okay. So, yeah. so he, he got behind the, the, the defense on the left side. Obviously that cornerback thought there was some other coverage in play where he was being picked up by a safety and, and it didn't happen. And, uh, and you know, goody for us. And then he, he outrun, ran the safety to the, to the pylon, which was pretty sweet too. Great year after of yak for likely. Yeah. And, and that's something that is another contrast with, with Andrews. And especially I think maybe as Andrews has gotten a little bit older, maybe accrued some, some nicks and bumps over the, over the years. Um, he doesn't really have that same yak ability, um, that that likely brings. Um, so in, in a lot of ways, you know, it's good that they have kind of differing skill sets um, because I think they can complement each other. Um, but the question is, you know, can can there be an offense that re- kind of revolves around the two tight ends it, with, in, the, in the Baltimore, you know, offensive scheme with, with Todd Monken? I'm not sure because we didn't see it this year. Um, it, at the beginning of the year when they were both healthy, you know, likely barely saw the ball. Um, so, and it, it's, it's just interesting because we just haven't seen it yet. I mean, we saw it maybe a little bit two years ago. That wasn't Greg Roman. That was Greg Roman though. That wasn't Todd Munkin. So it's, it's really a big question mark at this point. And this, the talent is there. Um, yeah. You have other options as well. So we'll see. If, if Todd Munkin is the offensive coordinator, we hope he is. Isn't it fair to expect him to be able to work both those guys into the offense as two of your you know, you, you will call it your four eligible receivers who are not a running back. I, I, I like to think so. And, and I think um, some of the usage of, of how they lined up, for instance, is telling, you know, when, when Andrews was out there, he was almost predominantly used in the slot Flex, yeah. um, and uh, likely was a little bit more half and half in line and used flexed out in the slot. Um, when they were both on the field together is almost always Andrews in the slot and, and likely in line. So, I, I don't know if they're going to treat one of them just as a big wide receiver in the coming year and say this is like, yeah, it's going to be two tight ends on, tight ends on the field, but we're going to actually just spread teams out and, and run, you know, maybe one in line, maybe both tight ends out in, in, in you know, slot or wide receiver positions and, and see how teams are going to respond to that defensively. You know, one of the things that that could be very effective for the Ravens are some YY looks where they where they have two receivers on each side. And I, obviously, a tight end slot both sides. It would almost work perfectly for. The, it doesn't even. It doesn't actually technically have to be a guy who's who's spread or flexed or whatever. But when you're in that position, it gives you some opportunities to try screens to either side, to use Jackson as a bigger weapon, to still use the the, the mesh point inside to have value, to even motion out of it. A lot of things you can do there, and I, I you know. Likely needs to make sure he can stay on the field as a blocker. I think he, you know, he he's shown some some good play as a blocker and some not as good play as a blocker. 
Um, you know, most recently in the AFC Championship game, he was he and Stanley were kind of responsible for for a sack in that game combined. Um, and then we have, uh, uh, you know, Andrews, who had been at times a great blocker, but really, you know, they use him mostly as a flex player. Let's let's go back to Andrews for one second, though. I, I want to ask this question of you. Do you think the injury to Andrews and the, you know, the, the way they were forced uncovered additional receiving value that the Ravens can really put to work in 24? Yes. Um, and, and I think the, the most likely um, candidate to, to be the recipient of that value will be Rashad Bateman, um, as, especially, you know, potentially coming into going into a contract year, you know, we'll yep. see if he, if his option gets picked up, um, you know, I think flowers, all things considered is, is the clear number one. Um, mm-hmm. But, but this year, you know, the, the, the number two was kind of a revolving door. Um, you know, there was weeks and it was partially due to injury. You know, Bateman was working his way back. Um, Beckham was kind of in and out of the lineup a lot. Um, but there was the, the number two wide receiver. If you look at the targets, it was pretty even between, between Aguilar, um, Bateman and, and Beckham. Um, I think Beckham was a slight number two or the others, but, um, you know, Bateman kind of came on a little bit more at the end. And I think he has the upside to actually be a very good quality number two if he's someone who Lamar can get earn a trust with. Um, and I think he's the player who can really benefit if the Ravens are going to go more to like a, a two wide receiver set. If, say, Flowers is the person who's commanding attention on the outside more often, um, being f- featured as as the number one Um and if you have two guys like like likely and um, and Andrews as well in the field, it's, it, I think he's going to get a lot of um, ability to to really take advantage of of the coverages. And I, and I think we saw that to a certain extent this year. He wasn't always targeted, but he was one of the most consistently open separators in the league. If you look at any of like the kind of like the wide receiver metrics, yeah, I I have seen it two different ways. And one just looks at his targets, and the other I think looks at all of the plays when the ball is thrown. But the next-gen stats, actually, and I think this is all the plays and not just his targets, are not as flattering. They they have him way down at the bottom in terms of separation. So I, I don't know what to believe at this point. I, I, I'm sure they're using the same data because I don't think there's any other legitimate source of separation data where you can measure the field other than that XY data that that underlies the you know the big data bowl and what the NFL collects. I don't I don't think there's another source of it. So if that if that is the case. Then I would I would hope that the um, uh, you know that those numbers would look similar. So it's just a defi- it's just a definitional thing. And then it really surprises me how could the definition be so different that he's at the top of the league or close to it in one category and he's at the bottom of the league in the other. It just it's it's really unusual. And I know the Cleveland Browns defense, you know, being good overall and and terrible on the road and and great at home would be the big counterexample of that. Yeah, that's a good. Good question. I, I haven't seen the data that shows him as like the bottom of the league in terms of separation. I, I'd have to look into that. Um, the, let me, the let me direct you. Seen. Let me direct you right okay. now, and and also we'll direct everyone out there because if you can tell me what the answer is, I would love to hear it. Just DM me on Twitter. Actually, don't DM me. Just put it right out on Twitter. The next gen stats. If you look at the receiving stats, there it combines all the tight ends and wide receivers, and I believe they had to have fifty targets because likely is not in the group. And then if you look at that look at that list and go to separation, I don't know what it's probably defined on another page or something, but I don't know whether that's on the throws to them or it's all throws or what it is, but it's at two point, I think it's 2.3 and he's at, actually last in the entire league. And I'm going to go through it right now because it's that important. Um, yeah, so if I look at regular season receiving, just go to the SEP column, which is the fourth column. And you you put it in declining things. You have Rondale Moore is the top separator at 4.5. And the top guy on the Ravens is Zay Flowers at 3.7. Then you go all the way down to the bottom. Okay. This is a minimum of 45 targets. No, now this looks different than how I had it before. So I have messed this up somewhere. Rashad Bateman's at two and a half in this case, which really puts him around maybe the 30th percentile. Mm-hmm. It's it's not the very bottom, but it also doesn't match up with other things we've seen on the on those uh, other ex, uh, other um, uh, graphs that we've seen. So I, I've I've you know, there's something I've obviously trying to having to correct myself on here. But the worst is two, 
he's at 2.5 and the best is 4.5. So just to give you an idea of, of where he is on the scale, it's, it's not a great point yeah. and it doesn't seem to match up with the other information. Again, I'm not sure if that's to all targets or all plays. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely something that's um, interesting to look into. And, and I'll take a deeper dive into this and maybe put something on Twitter. Um, because I think there is some conflicting information. I mean, frankly, I mean, just based off of when I when I watch him, I, I do see him get open quite yeah. regularly. He's not always targeted. Um, I, th- I think you know the Ravens have a bit of an issue versus man <laughs> in coverage sometimes, and and it's some in some extent that I think that's a Lamar Jackson thing. Um, I think he likes to sometimes see his receiver open before he he fires it in there. Um, but it's. It's, that's an interesting thing to to look at because I feel like Zay Flowers also does a pretty good job of of creating yeah. separation, and, and that was captured in the, in this NGS number. So, um, to that, the eye test kind of it kind of meets the eye test, but um, yeah, I'm, I'll have to look into that. I I, I I I trust you to do that well, given your uh, your professional background here. But another possibility is one could be at the throw, and the other could mm. be at the catch. So that actually could be different if if. You know, particularly for an underneath receiver um, who beats people at the top of the stem, that that you know that separation may um, narrow again by the time the ball is thrown in there. So, whereas if you're a deep receiver, you know, running a lot of vertical routes, you're more likely to have your greatest point of separation at the catch. And one other variable that I just kind of thought about that might be, it could be that there is a difference here in separation versus man coverage and separation sure. in general. Um, because it, it might be that this is the, the Bateman stat is something that he uncovers well against man. Um, but maybe he doesn't quite have the, the feeling for, for finding the open spots and zones potentially that set um, someone like Zay Flowers might, or Mark Andrews um, or some of the other better receivers in, in the NFL. So that, that could actually be a very easy way to describe the difference here. Yeah. It's, it's anyway, whatever, whoever has got that information out, whoever's listening to this show has got that information out there, put it out there. I, I'd love to hear what Gabe has to say, but I want to hear what you guys have to say too, in terms of, of how that thing might be calculated that, that, that could be different. And, and it's ideal if you know the actual answer rather than a suggestion on what the answer, I can probably think of five different ways it could be done differently. And, you know, you're thinking of his own man of, of at the catch at the throw kind of thing, all kinds of definitional things are possible. I, I kind of want what, what really it was. And it probably says, somewhere on the next gen pages because they're pretty good about explaining what their numbers are yeah that's definitely true all right so let's talk a little bit about mark andrews because one of the you know obviously season cut short with the the what is really a pretty filthy tackle on the part of of wilson in week 11 and you know you know wilson's argument is going to be i had to stop him short of the goal line i couldn't let him score and whatnot but it's a hip drop tackle and this huge injury risk on it. Um, the NFL is apparently aware of it and maybe in the process of outlawing it. But when it causes 25 times as many, you're 25%, sorry, not 25%, 25 times as likely to get injured on such a play. The NFL needs to do something about those sorts of tackles. Yeah. It's, it's something that, you know, has led to a number of injuries in the NFL. Um, I it's obviously, I think, a, a way for linebackers to avoid, or you know, any tackler to to avoid trying to um, go high and you know potentially get get like a, a helmet to helmet type situation or a lowering the helmet type thing, where they're still finding a way to bring down the the the, the ball carrier. Um, but it seems like it's, it's unnecessary. Um, there, there should be ways to, to tackle without causing these types of injuries. And I understand that the game is evolving. It's harder and harder to play defense and for a lot of reasons. But if the goal is to reduce injury risk, it seems like an obvious thing to, to take this tackle out of the game. I think my only concern is how it's actually policed and how it's defined because it's it seems like in the flow of a game it might be very difficult to actually be like yes that's clearly a hip drop tackle you know something like a, a horse collar i think is very clear you know lowering the crown of your helmet and like launching is very clear i, I think this might be something that's a little bit harder to officiate in the game and i'm sure if it, it does become a penalty or something that's removed there will be 
a way that they clarify it and define it. Um, but to me, that's kind of something that can be a little bit challenging. I, and I completely agree. And I'm not even as concerned about the catching it at the time and penalizing for it. Um, I, I, I think I don't even care if that actually occurs. What I care about is that there's some actual, you know, black dot kind of penalty, which is really severe for the defensive player who does it and potentially for the team that has it occur on their team. Like the the first the first time you do it the whole year, you, you, you get a warning. The second time you lose a seventh round draft pick for the team. The third time you lose a fifth round draft pick. You know, kind of thing. It would be of that. Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine a pound. All with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. That order of magnitude, just because of the the, the, the significance of those kind of tackles, um, you just have to avoid it. You, 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 you got to avoid it. And, and for the player, you know, it would be orders of magnitude in terms of the fine uh, from that sort of thing. But you, you can't, you know, give back the team that had got a player injured anything all you can do is take away from the well actually i guess you could you could give them the forfeited draft pick uh which would be a way to do it that'll that keep the crap out of divisional games where the impetus to do it probably is highest anyway or or it could be something that's reviewed after the game kind of like how they do fines and give suspensions or fines based on based on the film um that that could be a way to remove it for sure it's it's a it is a first step I'm not, I'm, I'm, it, it has to, the penalty has to be so significant that it, 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 penalties to, for injuring other players really need to be super significant. They need to be really super significant. It's always like crimes against the, the, the order of, of, of significance of where things fall in for the NFL is crimes against the game are at the absolute highest level. And now I'm talking eight men out stuff where you gamble. Uh, against your team, you throw a game, you do that guy. That's absolutely the highest. The next highest is crimes against the game where you try and cheat to win. Now I'm talking about deflate gate, uh, things like that. I, I think right on the same level with that is things like bounty gate. And I would put hip drop tackles in the same one. And sadly or not, however reasonable this is or not, crimes against that occur outside of the sport are always at a lower level. Even the domestic violence kind of stuff, uh, which we're not going to have a discussion about on this show, um, it just it's it's never has been treated at that same level. Uh, the Ray Rice incident is a rare circumstance where I think it really was uh, that did involve a suspension. But even even I guess maybe maybe I would talk myself into this now that it's being treated at a similar level to the to the crimes against the game in terms of cheating level. Um, that it, it, that it could cause that, but uh, it, the, the 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 whole nature of, of, of the crimes against the game that, that was the reason baseball got a commissioner originally. You know, they 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 went to to seek out this judge who had absolutely no ability to, to judge this sport, and they got him because they needed to have the perception of clear and and fair play and the Ravens, you know, sorry, the, the, um, the NFL with the way they've gotten into bed with gambling. And now they, I think they own a share of DraftKings or they're, however they are, they effectively do because they're getting so heavily in terms of sponsored in terms of dollars. Um, you know, they, they need to be super careful about this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree. Um, and you know, I think we have seen this year, um, an increase in some of the scope or the, the severity of punishments for, for players who were um, multiple time abusers of mm-hmm. kind of like the dangerous plays, like the helmet to helmet things. I think we saw, I forget his name. Was it, was it Kareem Jackson? Someone, a safety playing the Denver player who got suspended significant amount of time. I think he got suspended twice. Um, they're trying to remove plays that injure players that can lead to, especially long-term you know, career altering ending things. So, this clearly, I think, fits that mold. Um, you know, it's it's something that's severely detrimental. We've seen multiple players get injured on it that can be taken out, I think, without any problem. So I think that 
there will be conversation about it. I know there was talking about, there was conversation after the Andrews injury that there was people talking about it. You know, it's been mentioned that Goodell has been looking into it, things like that. So hopefully I think we'll see some movement there. Um, but, you know, it, everything goes to the competition committee and, and then that's where it's all going to be decided in the end. Right. Well, hopefully they they come up with a good solution for this. I want to go back to Mark Andrews, and we'll work through the tight ends here quickly. One of the things, you know, I complained about Mark Andrews, his his efficiency, his his, his passer rating throws have been dropping year over year. Uh, big step forward to the to the high point of his career this year, which is great to see. And and it's a function of other targets, obviously being around him, of the, the offense being more spread, of more um, more ability to find him space. A lot of the other throws were going to the outside where we hadn't seen it. Um, so, so uh, in a lot of ways, Mark Andrews is the same guy he was. He's just getting more space to do a lot of those things. What's unfair about this situation a little bit is that despite the year he's just come off of, the final year of Mark Andrews' contract is in 2025. I don't think there's really a high probability that the Ravens won't retain him for that year, but I think it, it might be $15 million for his final year that they have to pay between salary and a roster bonus. Does it almost seem to you like 2024 is a crossroads year for him? I think it makes sense for it to be because he needs to show that he can come back and bounce back to be the same player that he has been, you know, the player that deserved that contract. I think he's, he's in some ways outplayed, you know, the money that he was given, you know, other contracts have since eclipsed the amount that he's gotten. Um, There haven't been any reports about him griping about it. You know, there's nothing about him coming out and saying that I feel like I should be paid more. Um, You know, my production is, you know, top two, top three in the league. um, And he's not necessarily paid like that anymore. So I, I think, you know, he's earned the money that he's gotten. um, And he's not an old player necessarily. I think he's what, like 27. He's, he's not necessarily like at the end of his career. He was 29. Why do I think he was younger? He yeah, came in with Lamar. Let me let me make a- sure of that. Um, and if if I'm wrong about this, I will immediately. This is the kind of one thing I want to be wrong about and immediately know it. Uh, yeah, he's 28, 156 days. So in September, September of this next year, on opening day, he's going to be 29 years old. And it, so that's typically the age used for the season. Some some places use December 31st age. So we're, we're talking about a player who, in his age 29 season, is going to have to prove his age 30 salary. I have him born in 96, which would make him 27. But maybe... That is fascinating. Okay, I am looking at the September 6, 1995, which I believe is the date that Cal Ripken broke the consecutive game streak, by the way, uh, is his birthday in Scottsdale, Arizona. That's fascinating because the... the where I was looking was the same date, just that you're, you're, um, are you looking pro football reference or something somewhere else? Um, I was looking on pro football focus. Okay. Um, I would, I would trust the other one, but you know, the third Mm -hmm. place to go is the roster. So let me look at the roster while we do this, but other, you know, just thoughts about this in terms of, of, is there a chance that the Ravens would keep both? It looks like the 2025 savings is only 11 million if cut. So it's not 15 million. Uh, there's must have been some prorated bonus in there or something, but it's yeah. 11 million if cut. So I, I don't see him getting cut. I think, honestly, I think extension is more likely. Yeah. It, just because he's been such a contributor for the Ravens. Um, you know, he was having a good season this year before the injury. Uh, it, it, and I think, you know, th- there has to be a chance for him to, to show that he can still be that player. And, and maybe, you know, Maybe he isn't, and maybe he he clearly like falls off a cliff next year. And in that case, I think maybe he does potentially get cut. I, I don't see that happening. I I mean, we've seen him be one of the hardest workers on the team. He's fought through a lot to get to the point where he has. Um, so I, I I kind of see him, you know, bouncing back. The fact that he was able to you know work back from an injury that everybody thought at first was going to be season ending to come back and actually contribute in a in a game. Um, I, I don't see him being someone who the, the team is going to give up on. Um, and the, the, only, the only kind of counter argument to that, I would say, was was the mistake that was kind of made with Nick Boyle, um, who was yeah. kind of doubled down on a contract that he, he was probably a little bit of an overpay in the first place. And then they extended him after the injury, and mm-hmm. he was never the same player. And that was kind of a bad situation for the con- for the cap. But I, I, think, I feel like Mark Andrews has been, you know, such a significant contributor 
unless he completely, you know, takes a huge dive. I can't imagine him not at least playing out that final year of his contract. Right, and and I I would agree with you on that. It's just a, a part of the the logic of that would be that they they might have to extend him before the final year in order to to kind of guarantee that they'll keep him. And so to do that, they'll they they might have to get done. But but I think you're right. I'm seeing on his wiki by the same birth date of ninety five, not ninety six. Well, the, the Wikipedia probably has it. <laughs> yeah. Wikipedia could be could be changed yeah. by anybody, so we don't know. The media guide would probably be a better place. The Ravens roster doesn't actually have birth dates on it; they just have ages. At least I no, can't I, find. I see most sites. ESPN has them as twenty eight as well. Yeah, yeah, I think it must have just been the one I was looking at was was off PFF. by here. So yeah. yeah, but yeah, I mean, so he that, that I mean that is a position where, in some players, you start to see a decline late twenties, um, tight end often is a position where you actually still get a lot of high quality play, especially from the better players. Um, not everybody's going to be Travis Kelsey, but you know, he's in his early thirties. So playing exceptionally good ball. So um, it'll be interesting to see where, where his career trajectory goes. Um, but he's been very consistent. I, it's, you know, the, the, there's maybe a slight decrease in like kind of the, the, efficiency stats um but he's still a good end zone threat he's still a reliable third down option yeah um so i, I think that that's the kind of the key to what he is it, it's and it's it's not fair to t- tag this on him after he's had his most efficient year of his career and and you know to to, to say well is is it now time where it's put up or shut up time it's that's not that's not a fair way to put it but yeah. uh kelsey by the way um is 34 now and will be 35 next October. So uh, he's, and I, I have heard from Chiefs fans that, you know, he'd slow down a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I, I think so for sure. But I mean, historically, you know, we've had some great tight ends play a very long time. Your, your Tony Gonzalez's, your, your Jason Witten's, um, you know, players who, yeah, even if they don't have the same like athleticism, they still have that connection with, the, with their quarterback. They still have the ability to, to make plays, find openings. Um, and I think, you know, the Ravens might be in a position to say you're not being you're not being able to play at quite at the level you have before, but we want to give you a fair contract, maybe not mm-hmm. top of the market contract. It, it'll probably depend on how he plays this coming year, and that's yeah. that's going to be a big big aspect of it. No matter whether it's a extension or you know having to part ways. Let's move on and talk a little bit about Isaiah Likely because he was the big breakout, of course, this year. We've have already hit on him some. Uh, you know, it's interesting because it's a tale of two seasons for, for, for likely he had that enormous drop in week three against the Colts, which it, it's not fair to put the whole game on him, but it was one of about five plays in that game that if they got it instead of it gone wrong, they win the, they win the football game. Uh, it, targets got cut from 60 to 40. He hardly was targeted at all between the, the drop against the Colts and Andrew's injury. He, it, it, they, a handful of targets that entire time. And then all of a sudden he's, pretty much the number one receiver again once once he came back certainly you know other than flowers the 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 most effective guy yeah i think um he i mean he definitely saw an uptick in in snaps um i mean there was a there was like you said there was a stretch where he was basically phased out of the offense entirely um and i think it was kind of by default you know they needed a tight end they needed somebody who could like be that receiving option in the offense um and he stepped up you know, props to props to Isaiah Likely. You know, he was like you said, one of the best breakouts of the Ravens this season. He had an incredible season. Um, I don't think they would have gotten to the position that they did if he hadn't been able to make a lot of the plays that he made down the stretch. You know, there's there's a highlight reel list of plays he made. You yeah. know, the Jacksonville game, the the one handed catch he made against Miami you mentioned earlier. Um, he made a number of very difficult catches. Um, you know, he had a very good game in in the in the wild card. Uh, or I'm sorry, the divisional round. Um, he, he had a, a big touchdown on that play. Um, it, he just was able to, you know, take on that that role. And and you know, we talked, we touched on it earlier. It, it's hard to see him going away. Um, but how this offense incorporates both these talented tight ends into it is is going to be interesting. And and you have, I think, a very good coordinator. You know, someone who's used tight ends in in his offense before. Um, and I, I really think you just have to treat one of them like wide receiver because, because Munkin definitely seemed like he wanted to, 
do a lot of 11 personnel this year um, and, and treat one of them like a wide receiver. And if you need to have Ricardo on the field too and, and go like a fullback and, and two tight ends and, and one receiver and just have them flex out, if, if, if you want to have that option to, to pass out of it as well, I think you can do that. And, and mm-hmm. I think that's how you incorporate both of them. Um, and there will be some rotation too. You know, there's going to be times where they're both on the field. And there's going to be times when only one of them is. Um, but I think their best personnel, at least with the way the roster looks right now, it's with it's with the top two wide receivers and the top two tight ends and, and a running back. Um, and there will be situations where you put Ricard on the field. And there will be situations where you take one of the tight ends off or take one of the wide receivers off. But if you if you need to get yards in like a third and long, I think that's where you're going. Right. Right. I, I, uh, I agree. So, so your, your 22 personnel becomes your sneaky 12 package because you've really got a, a, a pair of wide receivers on the field, not just one. Um, 10.28 yards per target for likely. And that's after us. You know, he went four games without a single target after the drop against the Colts. Four games, no targets. Only, only had six targets, I think, the next three or four games after that. So he's still kind of phased out of the offense pretty much. Uh, but 10.28 yards per target is the third best total in Ravens history behind only Andrews and Jermaine Lewis, who was at 10.32 in 1998. Outstanding year. You know, no interceptions throwing to him. 7.4 yak per, per reception. The 152.5 passer rating. Some people have a good understanding, but I, I think a lot of people put it into a calculator maybe if they uh, occasionally, um, but don't really use it very often. I mean, 158.3 is a perfect score. Um, you, you basically, when you have a rating of 150 plus, it basically means you've maxed out on the interceptions and touchdown numbers, which means you have zero interceptions you're throwing to, and that's what he had. And and uh, in his case, he had what five TDs throwing to him. Yeah, it's <laughs> the numbers are just kind of bonkers when you look at yeah. them in terms of the efficiency. Um, you kind of would have liked to see him get more targets, honestly. Um, yeah. And to see what he could have done with it. You know, I mentioned a little bit earlier that I felt like he was a little bit dependent on manufactured targets or schemed up targets. Um, It's not entirely true. It's not entirely fair to him. But I feel like he never kind of became the default, like, go-to guy in the offense, if if, if that makes sense. Um, I I don't think he was a one-to-one for Andrews, is what I'm saying. Okay, to to me, I would take kind of the opposite from what you just said. If 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 like Andrews, I take as being first read or second read guy. Your first read doesn't work out, and Andrews, you know where he is because you're really scheming for the first read and him. So it's first read Andrews. In in Likely's case, we saw several plays on extended. We saw other plays that were busted. We did see some other plays behind the line of scrimmage, which is probably a schemed target. So I would I, I would think on that, but and and I'm not saying he was you know the go to over the middle the first to play action read I don't think he really ever became that this year, uh, but I thought he was a he was a marvelous off schedule guy and in some ways that's what makes you the go to guy right you're the yep. guy who who the bails out the quarterback when things are not right. Yeah, you know that is a good point, um, and I, I think he definitely found that chemistry with Lamar and and Lamar trusted him yep. to a point where he definitely didn't earlier in the season. Um, I, th- I think, you know, him basically having like an offer for like a month period was, you said directly related to the fact that he dropped the ball in a critical game in a critical situation. Um, and there wasn't that tr- trust that, you know, he, Lamar was able to build later on. And, and that trust kind of came out of necessity because, you, you know, here's someone that, who is going to be my top tight end and I'm either going to, give him the opportunity where I'm, I'm not going to have that option in the offense. So I think that it, it did, did work out. And I'm hoping that, that that kind of relationship and that chemistry can be built on because that's going to be something that's really going to, I think, define whether or not he has an ability to build on this, the breakout that he had this season and continue to kind of put up those, probably not the same efficiency he had in 2023, but at least, you know, put up the production that the Ravens are going to need in their offense. Mm-hmm. All right, outstanding. Let's talk. Let's go on and talk about Charlie Kolar a little bit. Disappointing second season in some ways, not bad at all from others. And he got on the field a lot for 230 snaps or something. I did say the number earlier, but don't have it right in front of me here. But anyway, uh, primarily was as a blocker. He only got nine targets the whole year, and I think that's where the disappointment comes into. And 
you know, the way that Iowa State offense that he came out of, they ran that, they, they fed him the ball like he was Will Chamberlain in the post. I mean, it was just everything went to him in, in that offense. And for him to come here and basically be a blocker, occasionally open and 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 running an actual pattern down the field uh, uh, was nice. But he's in for a lot of run plays this year. Yeah, yeah, Kolar, um, he definitely kind of became the de facto blocking in line tight end when when Andrews got hurt. So he kind of subbed into the role that likely was in before um, Andrews kind of went down. If you look at the numbers and like their, their positions, it was a lot of Kolar almost entirely in line. He didn't flex out like at all. He was lined up as a you know natural tight end, um, and he was pretty much predominantly used as, as a blocker. Um, it's, it seems like it was kind of just like a role to fill in the offense. And, you mm-hmm. know, when one player was lost, one player moved into that role and then somebody else moves into this role. Um, the thing that I found interesting as I was looking through the numbers as well was Patrick Ricard's role didn't change at all. Like he was pretty much the same guy from the beginning to the end, even when, when Andrews was healthy, when Andrews was out, like his role was kind of, he was the main blocker in in the in the in the run game. He was the guy who was like point of attack. This is where we're going. He's going to lead the way. Um, he wasn't used very much at all in the passing game, which is probably correct. Especially, I mean, he was on the field in some pass plays. Um, a, lot, a number of you know the more explosive downfield plays was when they did some play action with Ricard on the field. Um, but um, I, I think that's a big reason why Collard actually wasn't featured more often because they have they had two tight ends already that were ahead of him, likely Andrews. Yeah. And then the third tight end in a lot of ways was Ricard. Yeah. And he was used in blocking. He was used in both pass blocking and run blocking. And um there just wasn't enough snaps on the field to get him out there until until the injury. And then he kind of had a small role. And and there, I might point to one other thing that's happening is Charlie Collard to get some of his playing time in closeout roles, both because he was a decent blocker, but also because they want to get their other tight ends off the field and out of, right. out of danger. And when you're doing that and you're in a closeout role, it's mostly going to be running the football. But just it, it, separating his two snaps there, 158 snaps as a one as a runner and 157 as a run blocker and 72 only total pass snaps on 60 of those. He ran a pattern and he had nine catches but 12 of those he was pass blocking. So that's just a really extreme split for a guy with a, you know, a heavy receiving background like Kolaro's had. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways, it's just not that different situation than what we saw when Mark Andrews and Hayden Hurst were drafted and you, you drafted two tight ends and you kind of say, hopefully one of these guys hits and we're going to feature that guy. And that's what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, Andrews kind of shown and, and Hurst took a hind seat to him and eventually was was traded because he didn't have a role on the team. I, I don't necessarily expect Kolar to be traded, um, but I just don't see how you can really juggle three receiving tight ends um, and do the things that the Ravens want to do in the run game. Um, it, it, if Kolar is going to find a path to being on the field, he has to really shine as a run blocker. I think that's yeah. his way to get more snaps. So you're talking about Hayden Hurst, but I think that the comparison for Kolar, if he wants it, if he wants to really get playing time, he said, "Be the Nick Boyle, be the be the the other guy who who is much more recent is the guy whose name I'm blanking on who went to Minnesota, Josh Elmer. Uh, Josh Elmer, yeah. And uh, uh, you know, he, he, the, the blueprint is there. You know, he he could certainly be the guy. He didn't have a bad year, by the way. Nine point seven yards per target as a receiver. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with the 144 passer radio throwing to him. Uh, I think there's still a ch- good chance he can he can uh, make us take a step forward, but he, he probably has to have a little bit of luck, and unfortunately, his, his luck might be somebody else's injury in order to get on the field a little more. And also, if if he can prove his way, as you've said, as a blocker, that's that's a a method to get there too. Yeah, and I mean, I think Ricard is on the roster for one more season as well. Is he? Yeah. Is he? Twenty twenty four is his, the final year that they have him. So maybe you know if they like what they see out of Kolar, if he develops more as a as an inline kind of blocking tight end, um, maybe he can put on 10, 15 pounds. Um, I, I don't know what that would do to him in terms of what he can do as a passer, but you know, it, if, if he's willing to kind of like change his body and, and really work on his blocking, um, I think that can actually be a benefit to the team. Um, yeah. More so than potentially just being 
a guy who rotates snaps in, in a role that it, it's really, I just, I just don't see him kind of breaking out. Like you said, unless there's an, an injury or even in this year when there was an injury, he still wasn't really given much of an option to, to be That's a significant a good- target. That's a good point. I mean, he was the number he was the number two tight end there. While, well, if you don't count Ricard for the for for a lot of that time, more likely was number one, and and he it, that was a significant enough period that he got some snaps, but still didn't get a lot of receptions. We haven't mentioned Travis Vokalek here. Uh, a guy obviously was lost to the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, that was unfortunate, uh, but it's the kind of thing that happens. And I guess they reload again, probably with a UDFA for next year. But that's, I guess that's my question for you next is, what does this team do for 2024? We've talked about some of the schematic things they can do with their big three. But what do they do with 2024 in terms of, a, of, a, of off-season moves, in terms of personnel? Do they, do they take a draft pick at tight end? Do they, do they just sign another UDFA? What do they do? Yeah, I, I don't think they take a draft pick. Um, I, I think there's enough um, guys you can try, try to find in, in the UDFA pathway because it's not a position I think is a lock to make the roster first of all you know they had an opportunity to bring Vokalek up when when Andrews got hurt and they they declined that option you know they didn't take bring him onto the active roster um I think it was a couple weeks before Arizona picked him up so I I just don't see the need to to spend draft capital on a position at this point next year after you see how these players progress, maybe a little bit different. You might be in the position where you need to pick somebody up in the draft. Um, but I think that there's too many other kind of holes potentially on the roster. The Ravens have so many free agents that are going going to be potentially you know heading to other teams. Um, they don't have a ton of cap to sign all these guys, so um, there's going to be a lot of of holes to fill, and that's where I think you know those those draft picks should be should be spent on you know probably more defense than offense to be frank maybe one yeah. wide receiver i'm i'm with you all the way there uh, um the other offensive position i'd say they really need is offensive tackle are you okay on yeah. that absolutely yeah. yeah uh all right fair to expect more tight end centricity in 2024 i think so you know i think that goes along with you know what we were saying about IDing one of the tight ends as potentially kind of like a flex wide receiver, you know, a slot wide receiver, um, going more 12 personnel heavy, um, even more 22 personnel heavy with regard out there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and just being able to be kind of multiple in what you do offensively. I do think it needs to be improved or helped out by improved run blocking by the tight ends. I think likely it needs to get better. Um, and run blocking and pass blocking. I think Andrews maybe had a bit of a down year. He he wasn't used in line much at all, but I think that's something that he can improve on as well. And I, I think if you get really two players who are good, they don't even have to be great run blockers, but they can be good run blockers, and you can run effectively with those two guys on the field and pass with them on the field, it's an offense that's really hard to, to, to slow down. I, I think they need to get to that point because – you know, the wide receivers, there's there's roles for them, uh, but I don't see them investing heavily in that position either. Um, and the two that guys that they have, I think, are going to be on the field probably a lot more next year unless they kind of make a splash at that position, which I, I, I don't expect to see. I think maybe they bring back Aguilar. That, I could see that happening. Yeah. Maybe even Duvernay. Who knows? Uh, on, a cheap, on a cheap deal. Um, but I, I don't think that they're going to just spend a lot of money at that position maybe a draft pick, but it's, it's going to be, I think the two top wide receivers that they have and the two top tight ends that they have. And between them, you're going to probably see 80% of, of the targets, my guess is in 2024. Okay. All right. Uh, always a pleasure to talk football with you, Gabe. Uh, why don't we tell folks where they can find your work or, or talk to you online? Yeah. Um, right now, the best way to find me is on Twitter um, at Gabe Fergie. Um, it's, uh, you know, end of the, end of the season, but it's now the start of the off season. So this is, this is a fun time to kind of look ahead and, and see, you know, what the Ravens are going to do in free agency. Um, some of the decisions they have to make in terms of, you know, with your options, I think I find it all to be very interesting. The draft obviously is a, is a big thing every year. Um, I love to talk about, you know, the prospects and see how they fit in the Ravens. So, um, I'll, I'll definitely be 
you know, tweeting about some of the guys that I think would be good fits. Um, always looking to have a conversation about that as well. All right. Outstanding. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short this offseason, have a new idea for something to do, just hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter, of course. And also the offseason historical show we'll be doing is once there was a Raven or you know, once there was a player, uh, talk about your favorite second tier player. So you don't need to talk about Yonder, Suggs or, or any of the top players from Ravens history. Talk about that second tier guy and why you really liked him, what he meant to you. It can be a personal story. It can be whatever. Uh, just interested in providing some content and bringing back some good memories about some some of the good Ravens of old that maybe are, are a little less remembered today. Gabe, thanks again for joining me. Thank you for having me, Ken. It's always a pleasure. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.